It can be easy after such an amazing morning, a baptism, worshiping God together, taking the Lord's Supper, to forget about your worries and to forget about what's making you anxious. That's kind of the point, right? Coming to church always helps me leave behind things I'm worried about and get a new perspective. And that's part of why I wanted you to write down that list earlier before we started this incredible service this morning. So take out your list, now's the time. If you didn't make one, go ahead and you can make one right now. Just three to six things that you're worried about this week or more, write as many as you want, right? 30 to 60, whatever it is. I hope as we've been worshiping together, focusing on God together this morning, you've been meditating on what it might feel like if you could give up these things to him. And if you're wondering how that could even be possible, that's what we're gonna talk about today. Last week, if you weren't here, we talked about anxiety, uh, but in a different context. Uh, This week we're talking about worry, which is a specific type of anxiety. I'm loosely defining worry like this. Worry is anxiety directed towards specific things. So last week we talked about anxiety as your body's alarm system that just goes off and it triggers these feelings of overwhelming stress. And God designed that alarm system to help you. But sometimes our world can make it go off too loud or too often. And so if that's what you're dealing with, go back and listen to what we talked about last week. We were in Philippians chapter four where God has a lot to say about that feeling. This week we're talking about anxiety not as a general feeling but directed towards specific things which we'll call worry. And that's what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter six. That's where we'll be today. So turn to Matthew six, because in this chapter, Jesus gives some really specific commands and really specific promises about how to deal with worry. Okay, as you're turning here, I wanna acknowledge that I'm pretty sure you've read this paragraph before. Some of you have read it a hundred times. Some of you have heard a dozen sermons or read entire books about this paragraph. Some of you even have it memorized, and that's great. But I've been struggling with this text all week, and I really want it to hit you this morning in a new way. So here's what I did. This this paragraph Jesus gives us about worry, he structures his argument around four key rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions, every question God asks actually is a rhetorical question, because he always knows the answer. So when you ask a rhetorical question, what you're trying to do is make a point by forcing the listener to answer. So this morning, I wanna force you to answer, okay? So as we read, interact, and answer Jesus' questions out loud. Now, I've written how I would answer the question, my own suggested answer on the slide for you, if you wanna read that, the highlighted part, out loud. I think those are the most obvious answers to his question, but feel free to answer however you want. Think through these questions as we read together. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? And which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his height? Not me either. 
And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Take out your list of anxieties and worries that you made earlier, things that you're feeling anxious about this week. I want to share with you the list that I made. I actually did this this week. I made my own list, and I've been grappling with it to help me study this text. And I imagine, after I was done, this is my actual list. I've made it a lot more generalized. I've taken out a lot of the detail to make it more useful to you and also for privacy of people who are involved on the list. But this is the real list I made, and it helped me a lot when I was processing this. So I want to talk through it with you. I imagine a lot of our list items overlap. Number one, I'm anxious about someone I love who is dealing with scary health problems. You probably are too, somebody you know, or maybe it's you. Number two, I'm worried about the state of my country, worried about the future of my country over the years for me and for my children. I'm worried uh, about somebody I love, a friend of mine, and he's not a believer, and he's making really bad choices, and I feel helpless in that situation. I'm really worried about him. I'm worried about the safety of people who I love while they're traveling. I'm worried about a coming job search that I have to deal with this next fall and big career decisions I'm going to have to make that will impact me and my family. And then last, spiritually, I'm worried that I'm not giving God enough of my time and my attention in the day-to-day, in the everyday of my life. Can anybody relate? Can some of you relate to any of the things on this list? I promised I wouldn't make you share yours, but I imagine as you're looking through this, some of you can play bingo on your own list and check off item after item. And the first thing Jesus has for us today about worry, the first thing he wants to tell you is this, food and clothes. That's where he starts. Scan through your list. You don't have to raise your hand or answer out loud, but just notice if either of these items appears. One, I'm worried I won't have enough food to get me through the week. Not on my list. I'm worried I won't have enough clothing to get me through the week. And I'm not talking about you put off laundry day for too long, okay? Not enough clothes to get through the week. It's not on my list. I don't know about you, but everything on my list is pretty far removed from these survival-level things that Jesus opens with. I am not worried about whether I'll have the basic requirements of survival, and I bet most of you are not either. My worries are a lot more abstract, right? Politics, my career, or they're about other people, somebody else's health or somebody else's faith. And Jesus says, Zach, not only are you not supposed to worry about those more distant things, I'm saying if you're worried, you lack what your body requires to survive to the end of the month. Don't worry about that either. How can he be serious? It's not a suggestion. It's not advice. It's a command. Do not worry about your life, period. And what I see here with the food and clothes that he starts with is if Jesus commands me not to worry about the fundamental things that I need to stay alive, I'm confident he's also commanding me not to worry about the abstract, the distant, the potential, and the uncontrollable too. 
As we're reading this, let the words of Jesus hit you today as hard as he needs them to hit you. Feel free to object, question, and grapple. But do not close your mind. Because if you'll let them, these words can change your life and they can set you free. Look back at verse 25. Is not life more important than food? Consider that question. Some people, especially if they were hungry or if they were starving, would say that question is nonsense. Life is food. If I don't have food, I don't have life. So it's pointless to say, isn't life more important than food? Well, what's the difference between those two things? Because if I don't have food, then I don't have life. Do you see the problem with that mindset? You've equated life with survival. You've equated life with the opposite of death. That's not what Jesus means when he uses the word life. The way Jesus says life, every time he uses this word, is so much more than just survival. It has to be. Think about this sentence that Jesus promised. He said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If somebody loses their life for his sake, they've lost their life. But he says you'll find your life because life that I'm offering you is so much bigger than having a pulse. Isn't life more important than food? Jesus, he's not saying don't make a grocery list. He's not saying don't plan ahead or save money or make sure that you can afford to have food. He's saying life is infinitely more important than food or any other tool you need to keep your body alive. He's asking, would you rather survive in comfort and safety and be well-fed but spend the whole time crippled by anxiety about it? Abraham Lincoln said, it's not the years in the life, it's the life in the years. He was right. Jesus said, I came so you would have life and life abundantly, eternal, joyful, peaceful life. You know what robs you of that kind of life even more than starvation? Worrying. Jesus designed your body. He knows every cell in your body and how it works. And he knows, he's aware that medically, worry decimates your physical body. Worry causes migraines, ulcers, high blood pressure, heart attacks, strokes, a weak immune system, and a whole host of psychological disorders. So Jesus is saying, worry should not be more important to you than your long-term health. Your life is more important than the thing you're worrying about. But he goes even further than that. Worry is so destructive to your soul that it can be worse than starving to death. That might sound shocking to some of you, but I think some of you know exactly what that feels like. As followers of Jesus, we cannot jeopardize the abundant life that he offers us for any reason, not even the things that keep our biological lives running. That's hard. That's a hard teaching. Is he saying I can't even worry about life's essentials? Because then how will I know that I'll be okay and survive? Or more than that, my babies are hungry. I can't afford new clothes for them. If I don't worry about us, who will? Well, I'll never miss a chance to plug an old hymn because I love old hymns. So let's answer this question by cherishing some good Christian art together. Some of you know this one. This hymn was written in 1905 by Sevilla Martin. It was inspired by her close friends, an elderly couple. The wife in this couple had been bedridden for 20 years, and her husband was bound to a wheelchair. They were both incurable, and they were very poor. And Martin later wrote about this couple that when you were around them, they radiated the bright peace of God. 
And one time she asked her friend for the secret of how she could always feel such hope and peace despite her circumstances, and she wrote down her friend's reply because it was so profound. Her friend said, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. A woman, bedridden for 20 years, she never got out of bed or went anywhere, and the entire time she was laying in that bed, she knew the God of the universe was watching over her attentively and lovingly every single day. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. So I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. According to the National Academy of Sciences, sparrows are the most common bird in the entire world. It is estimated there are 1.6 billion sparrows in the world on six continents. But listen to this. There are over, it's estimated, 50 billion birds on planet Earth. That's billion with a B. And of those 50 billion birds, guess how many of them lay awake at night worrying about food or fashion or the economy. God loves birds. God created birds, but he breathed his spirit into you and he died for you. God loves the lilies of the field. He created and clothed them, but he breathed his spirit into you and he died for you. Jesus' second question for us this morning is, are you not more valuable than them? If God pours out his beauty on grass and flowers, designed to be thrown into the fire tomorrow, don't you think he'll pour out his love on you? Oh, you of little faith? Maybe you bristled at Jesus' words in verse 30 when he said, oh, you of little faith, right? Ouch, don't make it personal. I have faith, I just worry sometimes. Not in that moment, he says. When you're worrying, you don't have faith. In the area that you're worrying, he says, you lack faith. Jesus says worry is the opposite of faith. Worry is believing that God might get it wrong. Worry is thinking that God might not, in that situation, in that area, be working towards your best interests, and that's not true. That's what Jesus comes back to at the end of his talk about food and clothes and the lilies and the birds in verse 30. He says, look, when you are worrying, that is a lack of faith. Will you believe in God's all-encompassing love for you, or will you not? Will you trust him, or will you doubt? Not trusting that he'll miraculously make bread to fall out of heaven and feed you, although he's done that before, but trusting that he will sustain you by giving you what you need, which is more important than what may or may not keep you alive in any given situation in which he knows far better than you know. The God who watches over 50 billion birds every single day cares infinitely more about you and the list of three to six worries that you brought with you this morning to this church on this given Sunday. That God wants to give you every good thing. He wants to blanket your troubled heart with his transcendent comfort right now. When you talk to God, he leans forward. He hangs on your every word. When injustice and other people in the world hurt you, God's righteous anger and wrath burn on your behalf. God feels your pain and sorrow. His heart breaks right alongside yours. Every cut cuts him just as deeply as it cuts you. Why won't you trust in him? Why won't you believe him? 
when he says he has the peace that you need? Why cling to your worries, your fear and uncertainty, your faith in the world to help you, your faith in yourself to help you, when God said he would help you? You know the number one reason that I think a lot of us cling to our worries? I was thinking through this. The number one reason for me when I was trying to justify my worries to myself in my head, why I can't let them go? Jesus says it here in verse 27. He phrases it again in the form of a question. He says, which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his height? Here's why I think we worry. Here's how we justify it. We think our worry will be useful. We have these reasons that we think, well, if I worry about it, then this or that uh, outcome might occur, might be more likely to occur. We think that if we worry in certain areas more, it will help keep us and people we love safe. It will help ensure good future outcomes. Please hear the difficult words of Jesus this morning. Worry is never useful. It does not add. It can only subtract. I want to say a quick note about the language of Matthew 6, 27. Some of your Bibles have the translation, which of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his height? And some of your Bibles have the translation, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Right? That's another translation we see in a lot of Bibles. And whichever one your Bible has, it probably has a footnote, and then at the bottom it says, or, and then it has the other one, right? I want to mention that. I don't like digging into translations. It's usually not super helpful, but here I think there is something for us in that. I don't want to get too far into the Greek, but in Greek, which is the language this was written in, the word for height, for physical stature, how tall you are, is a synonym for the word maturity of lifespan right, for how long you've been alive, but it's more specific than lifespan. It's how many, how, how mature you are. Like, are you of age to do something? And you can see why they're obviously related. Like, your stature, how tall you are, has to do with how much you've grown up. And so those are synonyms. And so Jesus uses that word. So either translation is correct. Either one is correct. Who can add a single increment to his height? Who can add a single increment to his maturity? But I think that Jesus is using this synonym on purpose. And when you look at that synonym, you can start to see how big this question really is. It's like this. This could be everybody's English translation. If Jesus said, how could worrying ever possibly make you grow? We could interpret that to say, how could worrying ever make you grow an inch taller? Well, it can't. The same thing. How could worrying ever make you grow as a person in spirituality and maturity? Just as impossible. It's just as impossible. It's like if he said this, worry cannot add anything to your height and it cannot add anything to your life. Listen, this is personal for me. I am five feet, 11 and three quarters of an inch tall. Do you have any idea as a man how difficult it is to go through life five foot and 11 and three quarters of an inch tall? Doesn't the fact that I keep pathetically adding three quarters of an inch show you everything you need to know? I will never be a big, tall, grown up, six foot man as my older brother constantly reminds me. And I have to come to terms with that every day. The only way I can deal with it is by wearing boots. It helps. There is no amount of worrying that could add that extra desperate little quarter inch to my height. You know why? Because height is outside of my control. I had no say at all in how tall I was going to grow. Look back at the list that you made of all your worries. Let's talk about how many of those things are outside of your control. Could it ever be useful to worry about something you cannot control? Of course not. And could worry ever help you grow in maturity and spirituality? Not a chance. 
Worry cannot ever add one single solitary cubit of joy, peace, fulfillment, or abundance to your life. So Jesus says worrying is useless because it won't add a single increment to your stature, both literally and spiritually. Okay, you might be thinking this. You might be thinking, doesn't worry sometimes help because it makes people take precautions? Worry sometimes makes us wear seatbelts, right? Worry makes us go to the doctor. Worry makes us save money. Doesn't worry keep us safe? Doesn't worry help us survive? How could worrying do anything but add to my life? I think somebody who never worried versus somebody who worries all the time, the person who worries might live longer, and so it could add to their life. Well, what's a life? Isn't life more than food? Isn't life more than the number of hours that you happen to stay alive? If you equate life with mere survival, or even worse, comfort or safety, sure, maybe worry will save you some life in that sense, but followers of Christ are not called to that kind of life. We are not called to safety. We're not called to survival. We're not called to consistency or comfort. We are called to die to ourselves, to be crucified alongside our Lord in order that we might truly live, live in abundance through him, a new life of spiritually transcendent hope, peace, and joy. When you worry, could it ever add to that kind of life? I want to do something hard here as we finish, I wanna go through my list with you, okay? I wanna apply what we've just talked about from this passage to this list of worries because I want this to be practical. I want you to be able to take this home with you and use it. That's what the commands of Jesus are for. So I've given you my list, it's right there, we're gonna talk through it. I want you to do this with your list out as we're talking through these principles. Again, you don't have to show it to anybody, it's not for a grade, this is between you and God, but apply these principles to your lists of worry. First, try these two simple things. One, if something, is, something on your list is outside of your control, like your height, or if worrying about something on your list will add nothing to your spiritual life and grow your soul in maturity, draw a line through it. Or if you're on your phone, put an X next to it. It can't help you. It, can, it can't add, it can only subtract, okay? Okay, applying these principles, let's take it from the top, okay? I wanna show you what this looks like. Number one thing on my list, the health problems of someone I love. Well, you can see right away when you look at that, the health problems of someone I love. How much control do I have over somebody else's health problems? Zero. None. Now, that's not to say I don't care about them. The only reason I'm worrying is because I care. And all the people in your life or yourself who have health problems, you care. I'm not saying you can't care or that you shouldn't care. You worry because you care. But listen, worrying about something is not caring about something. That's not the same thing. So many people will say, well, I just worry because I care. That's not the same thing. So often we think worrying is a way to express the fact that we care, and that is a lie from the devil. It's a trick he uses to rob you of joy, and more importantly, to keep you from actually doing anything about the people that you love and for the people that you're worried about. So what can you do about somebody if you care about them who's experiencing some health problems and you're worried? Well, like we talked about last week, the solution to anxiety, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I wanna add, you should present your request to God for them. Give him your worry because that signifies you giving up control, which is half the point of prayer. But also pray for yourself. 
Pray that God will walk through this with you, that even though you're feeling all this worry and anxiety about this person or for yourself or for these health problems outside of your control, that he would walk by your side through that anxiety. There's nothing more valuable than having Jesus by your side, and he offered to be there. So ask him to walk with you. And you can tangibly help these people, right? Through money, through time, through work, through prayer. But listen, when you sit around worrying, you're not trusting in God. You're disobeying a direct command of Jesus. You're not helping the person you love, and you're hurting yourself. Your worry isn't about, it's not making them feel any better, and it's making you feel worse. They need your help. They need your attention. Most of all, they need you to pray to God on their behalf, but the healing of their physical body is just as under your control as how tall you are. Cross it off the list. How about America? How about this country? How many of you put something like, don't raise your hands, just like, how many of you put something like this on your list? Our broken culture, our society, the economy, foreign policy, elections. What about immigration, abortion, education policy, prisons, healthcare, jobs, COVID? Are any of those things under your control? Well, you might say a little bit more than the last one, right? A little bit more than somebody else's health. I can vote. I can campaign, I can raise money and awareness, right? The freedoms in our country allow us to do that. There are plenty of ways you could get involved and maybe make a difference. And by the way, if God has laid that on your heart, I think you should. I think Christians should exercise good stewardship over the influence God entrusts us with, including our civic influence, if he's called you to that. But I don't know about you, that's usually not what I'm thinking when I'm worried about America. It's not usually about things that could possibly transform into action. Usually I just want to complain. Usually I just want to stew or despair or worry. My kids are going to have to grow up in this culture. Are you serious? I'm supposed to buy a house in this economy? And at the end of the day, my worries about America, this giant thing over which I have basically no control, are just about as useful and action-oriented as wishing I had that last quarter inch and could make it to six foot. Just like we discussed last week, you cannot control elections, you can't control courts, you can't control our policy about Ukraine or the housing market, any of it. It's not under your control. And worrying is not going to help you, it's not going to help our country, and you're disobeying this direct command of Jesus. Cross it off your list. Let's talk about other people. This might be the hardest one. Let's talk about other people, especially other people's unbelief and other people's bad choices. I know this represents a huge pie slice of the anxiety in this room this morning, especially for the parents. But as so many of you parents have learned through all the headaches and heartbreaks of parenting, you cannot make other people's choices for them, especially when it comes to the choice of belief. Now, with relationships, I bet a lot of people have relationships on your list. When it comes to a relationship, it necessarily involves more than one person. One of those people is you, so you can control yourself. So in any relationship, you have some percentage of control, and especially if that relationship is your marriage. Some people wrote about marriage. That's a relationship. You're one of the people in it. You can control yourself. That's as far as you can go. I've got an unbelieving friend, and I'm really worried about him. He's making a lot of really bad choices. He's leaving behind people who care about him, And it's not my job to fix him or to make his choices for him. It's my job to love him, to talk to him, to exhaust every single bit of influence that I have, to leverage all the strength of my relationship with him, to convince him that I would gladly die just for the chance that he could know Jesus. But that's it. 
I must answer to God only for my part in every relationship. And as for the rest, you have to open your hands. You have to offer the people you love to God. And by the way, this extends to the people who don't love you, to the people who are judging you, to the people who, a lot of people are probably worried about what others think of them, right? When we're talking about controlling other people, a lot of you on your list have something about what does so-and-so think of me? Same thing. You can't control somebody else. You have no control over what anybody else thinks of you. So in any relationship, you can control yourself and nobody else. Now, I know, talking about how we can't control other people, I know that this will pour some salt on some bleeding wounds in here this morning. But the truth is, God is willing to let some of us be lost in order that our love for him might be free. Free and uncoerced. God loves your kids even more than you love your kids. And he died for your prodigal friends just as much as he died for you. They are not under your control. His eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on them. But worrying about them is not going to help them. And it's hurting you. And it's disobeying a command of Jesus. You have to cross it off your list. Okay. Let's talk about other people traveling. The safety of people I love while they're traveling. Doesn't this come up so often when we pray or when we take prayer requests? People love people who are traveling. Well, this one has become a lot more personal for me this year. Earlier this year in March, I woke up to a nightmare. I woke up to a text from somebody that said, call me right now. Not a good sign. So I called them and I got the news that a close friend of mine had been killed in a car wreck. He was my age. He was my best friend at work. He was driving back from an anniversary weekend trip to his two kids, and now his wife is alone with those kids, and he was killed that morning. It's heartbreaking. It's totally senseless, and it's so hard this year for me. That's why this is on my list. It's been so hard for me this year. Every time somebody I love gets in a car and I watch him drive away, because I'm thinking about that moment, thinking about that horrible phone call. Some of you know what that feels like to get a call like that. I'm not, trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to exploit this heartbreaking loss. I don't bring this up lightly. It's traumatic. It's a tragedy. But this friend of mine, he's with God now. He was one of the most brilliant and spiritual people I've ever known. And I know that if he could talk to me about this worry that I have about people traveling because of what happened to him, I know if he could advise me about this anxiety, he would not say, well, worry more to keep them safe. Worry more. It'll make you feel better. Here's what he would say. Hug them as tight as you can right now. Show them how much you love them every day. And trust in God to work for the good of those who love them. You have no control over the other drivers on the road. You have no control over the people you love and how they drive. You do have control over you, how you drive. Drive safe. But if the unimaginable, the worst should happen, if you get a call like that, do you honestly think that even a lifetime of worrying could possibly prepare you for that moment? It will not. It'll only make it worse. Imagining the people you love in these tragic situations kills them a thousand times before if they actually should die. And it won't make that moment any easier. Nothing can prepare you for that kind of tragedy, but someone has promised that he will walk through it with you if it should come. Jesus Christ. That is what's under your control. Somebody else is driving, somebody else is traveling, that's not under your control. Worrying about it's not going to help them, it's only going to hurt you, and it's disobeying Jesus. You have to cross it off your list. (sighs) 
Another big one for me is jobs, job prospects, and career decisions. I bet a lot of you wrote something about your job on there. Jobs and careers are the biggest stressor for most people in America today. More than family, more than religion, more than politics, more than anything, people's jobs. Maybe you don't have this on your list. The reason I really want to talk about jobs is because you might be looking at anything you have about your job, like I did when I got to this point in my list, and say, wait a minute, that one's different from the last four. That one's different. You said I had to cross off the last four because they're not under my control. And okay, fair enough, they're not. But my job is. I go to work. I work hard. My job is under my control. So maybe worrying there will help me. Well, if you mean by help you, it'll make you send out your applications. It'll make you spruce up your LinkedIn page. Sure, maybe worrying will help you. But we're not talking about action, right? Those are actions. We're talking about worry. Worry is a state of mind. Worry is a posture of spiritual being. So whenever you're trying to justify worry by saying it might drive you to take action, go ahead and take the action, but stop worrying. Worry is a state of mind, and it's the opposite of faith. So Jesus says, look, when it comes to things you can control, things like job prospects or big career decisions, things maybe like whether you'll have food or clothes, Jesus says, even if you can control those things, right? Even if worrying could add a single hour to your lifespan or to your maturity, it will add nothing to the life that Christ has for you. It cannot add to the abundant life, the peaceful and joyful life that he is offering. So even here, when there are concrete steps you could take to help the object of your worry, Jesus doesn't say don't take them. He doesn't say don't prepare, but he says worrying about it, doubting God's perfection and plan will not add to that. It will only subtract from you. It will subtract from your maturity, your spiritual height. So here, even though your job is somewhat under your control, worrying won't help it, won't make it better. It'll only hurt you. And you're disobeying Jesus. So cross it off. Okay, I want to end here with this one. This is the longest lasting worry in my life. I felt this worry as long as I can remember, and I really struggled with even whether I should talk about it included on this list because it's so hard for me, and I bet it's so hard for a lot of you too. Spiritual anxiety, religious guilt. Let's talk about it. We worry that we're not giving God enough of your time or your attention. For me, this is a stubborn guilt, and it's a shifting guilt. When I try to put my finger on it and pin it down, well, what actually do I feel bad about spiritually? What actually should I be doing to do better spiritually? It's hard to even put my finger on it. It's just this vague guilt, this unceasing self-accusation. And again and again, when I dig deeper and deeper to figure out where this is coming from, what I find is a legalistic altar that I've built in my heart, an altar to self-centered shame and self-pity. I bet so many of us wrote something like this down or it resonates deep in our hearts. You worry that you're not a good enough Christian. You worry that other people are better Christians than you. Or you worry that as a Christian, you should be doing more than you are, praying more, studying more, being in community more, coming to church more. Listen, here's the first thing I wanna say about this. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need more of your time. He doesn't need more of your attention. God is not pouting because you don't talk to him enough. He's fine. There is nothing that you could give him that he needs. But Jesus knows that so many of us carry around the weight of spiritual perfectionism, which is legalism, which is sin. 
And so many of us carry around this weird, long-standing religious guilt we can't seem to shake that robs us of the joy he offers. And so here at the end of what he's talking about in Matthew 6, Jesus goes out of his way just to address this because he knows a lot of people are worrying about religion and spirituality. And so he says, here's how you can quit worrying about that. Don't worry about the essentials first. You don't need to worry about food, drink, clothes, and therefore you don't need to worry about anything else. But, you see the word but? But is the turning point here. It's the signal that we're getting to the promise that follows the command like sunrise follows the night. He says, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Look, if any religious guilt showed up on your list today like it keeps showing up on mine, let's cross it off together. First of all, worrying about the person, the only person who can free you from worry is ironic. But worse than that, it's pointless right? It's completely pointless. It's only hurting you. And worrying about whether or not God likes you is pointless. Whether or not God loves you, he loves you more than right now than he will ever love you. There's nothing that you can do to earn one cubit more of God's love than you have right now. He's never going to love you any less or any more, no matter how good of a person you are, no matter what you do. It's like worrying about whether or not the sun is going to rise tomorrow. God likes you. God loves you. He wants what's good for you. He died to guarantee you that. Seek first his kingdom. That's it. And if you do that, he will give you everything. Cross it off the list. This is a hard teaching this morning. Maybe you're looking at my list saying, look, that might have been easy for you to just cross off, but I'm sitting here staring at something I've been worrying about for decades. Take it with you this week. Study Matthew 6. Look at Jesus' words. Look at his promises. Work to eradicate worry from your life. It is not helping you. It's not helping anyone. It's only hurting Jesus promises that worry cannot add a single cubit, or in my case, even a single quarter of an inch to your height. It's not going to add a single bit of peace to your life either. But he tells you exactly how to get rid of it and exactly how to get everything you want, and more importantly, everything you need. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the righteousness of God. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Amen.